And I believe the Lord would, would say, this is what I believe the Lord would say to us this morning. Is I believe the Lord would say, I'll remove your idols from you. I'm a jealous God. And I'll have your affections. And I'll have nothing to stand between me and you. Whatever your idol is. And I really feel even these are not bad bad idols in the sense that these are not sinful things, but these are things that we we put trust in, we lean on, and we we feel like we need in our lives to be to be uh, spiritual or to be blessed or to and the Lord says He'll remove those things from your life. Just like the Lord removed Elijah from Elisha's life. The Lord will remove things from your life that you're depending on to show you that He'll be the only the only Lord, the only God. And Lord, we we just pray you'd have mercy on us this morning. Pray you'd have mercy on us. Lord, we pray that we'd be a people who would put our eyes upon you, Jesus. I pray for every person in this room right now that you would show us, each one of us, the idols that we have erected, Lord God, in our lives. The things that we're looking to. Here's some things the church makes an idol of. The church makes an idol out of the way they do things, their traditions, their styles. How you do it there, how they... We make an idol out of people. And the Lord, the Lord will remove people. The Lord will take away the anointing off in music, off in songs. He'll remove those things in our lives. And in your personal life, those relationships that you are putting you're trying to get things out of a person that God really never intended that person to be able to give you. It's like an idol. Sometimes a spouse will try to get something out of their, out of their mate. That mate just simply cannot give and it creates trouble in the marriage. And It's like making that person something that God only God can do. Only the Lord wants to give those things to us. And the Lord will even confound marriages to, to get us in a right way with Him, get us into a right relationship with Him. The Lord will confound friendships to get us right with Him. And I believe the Lord really just wants to just really ask us this morning to, to really say, what is the thing in your life that you feel like you've got to have? That you feel like you really must have to be happy and be satisfied and be fulfilled? And I believe the Lord is saying that, you know, even the things that He's given us, that He always wants to be greater than even the things that He's given us, that even the godly desires He's put in us and the callings and the giftings, He really is saying, I want to be greater than those things even. You know, and will you put those things at my feet and make them at my disposal? Lord, we just ask You to do that this morning. To remind you what the Scripture says. It says, Be still and know that I'm the Lord. Sometimes the Lord requires stillness from us. Many of us are not comfortable with stillness. We wanna, we've got to have activity. We've got to have movement. We've got to have sound, noise. Sometimes the Lord's saying, No, you need to be still. Be still. Be still. 
just feel one more time, I feel like in, in people's lives in this room right now, there's some things that God has, that you felt like you knew that the Lord really wants you to put before Him. Things that have gotten out of order in your life. Just, the Lord really is asking you. Um, you know, that song we sang, it said, you know, everything up to our up to now belongs to you. You know, and you know, sometimes it really is hard to let go of the past and things that happened in the past. Um, <clears throat> but I'll tell you, it's more, much more difficult when the Lord is speaking to you about something right now. Maybe it's something that's gone on in the past that you still have in your life right now. You know, an issue uh, or whatever. But the Lord, I think right now the Lord's saying something in our lives right now that he, that's really between us and Him and it doesn't have to be a sinful thing or, or an awful thing. It can be something wonderful. But the Lord really is saying, would you just, would you be willing to put that in my hands? Put that in my hands this morning. I feel like the Lord's saying, particularly to some people this morning, about their calling and their gifting. And the Lord's saying, would you be willing to put that in my hands today? Would you be willing to put that in my hands? Some of you dream about marriage. Would you be willing to put that in my hands? No, really, truly, are you willing to put that thing in His hands, whatever it is, this morning? Yeah, really, it is a scary thing to put something in the Lord's hand. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah, because when you put it in the Lord's hand, you don't know what He's going to do with it. He has the prerogative if He wants to bury it. We don't have that prerogative. We can't bury it, but we can give it to Him. And I believe also there's issues in people's lives where you have relational issues that the Lord's saying, will you let go of that thing and put it in my hand? Will you surrender that to me? Will you do that? And just one more thing I felt from the Lord was your future. You know, everybody's worried about their future and concerned about what your future may be. And I believe the Lord's asking for people's futures this morning. Will you put your future in God's hand? I mean, really and truly, will you surrender it? And that means He may say, this is the future you thought you had. I have something else. Will you be willing to go on this detour? What you thought was a detour, but really you were on a detour yourself. Sometimes when we pray and ask the Lord about things, He's given us stuff we don't realize. Amen? Isn't that what you said the other night, Sue? I think that was a word from the Lord. Sometimes people are praying for stuff and asking God to do stuff, specific things, and all the time God's doing something and you don't even know what He's doing. And that's why, that's why He's not answering your prayer. It's because He's doing something greater in your life. Y'all good? All right, here's a couple more things we got during worship over there. Number one, the Lord was over there during worship. Okay? Second thing is, the Lord said that He was very pleased about Marlon being up here. Third thing is, it's the Lord's heart for every person to participate in church. It's the Lord's heart for every person to participate in church. Those are three things we got during worship. Becky's mom got them. Y'all good with that? 
Do you hear that? Y'all hearing anything? Is, he, is the Lord speaking to anybody? Maybe I should do something really crazy. Pick up the whole... This time, instead of bread, I'm going to pick up the whole pulpit and just throw it at you. Maybe that'll get you woke up there. Well, let's slap this up here. I got something I want to share. I want to talk to you this morning. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this fast, okay? And then I got four purposes of the church, okay, that I feel like the Lord's shown me. And then I want to give you a practical application for us as a church of what I see the Lord speaking to me about in these four purposes, okay? And I believe, you know, from my perspective at least, you know, the church has at least even got water spilled. Oh, no. It's all right. Don't worry about it. It's all on this plastic. And it's not my water. It's Amy's water. She should have never put her water right there where my feet sat. That's why I put mine over here where I can't get to it. Anyway, fourfold. There are so many things in the Bible that comes in force. There's four Gospels. There's four faces of Christ. There's four spiritual seasons. There's four rivers that come out of the uh, river of God in the Garden of Eden. What other four do we have? Four aspects of God's love. The height, the length, the breadth, the depth of God's love. And now we have four purposes of the church. So I'm a big believer in, the, in four, okay? So here's number one, first purpose of the church. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them to you and then we'll talk about them. First one is ministry to God. That's the purpose of the church. The second one is ministry to believers, second purpose of the church. The third one is ministry to the world. And the fourth one is spiritual warfare. We could say ministry to the devil, but that don't really sound right, does it? Ministry to the devil. But So we just call that spiritual warfare. Amen? You with me now? So those, those are four purposes for the church that the church has in the earth. All right, moving on. Let's look at each one of them just a little bit. First one, ministry to God is worship. Colossians 3, verse 15 through 16. Uh, let the peace of God... And I've got these scriptures up here. You can look them up, but I'm going to try to go a little quick because the application is really what I want to get to. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Uh, worship is not a preparation for something else. You got that? It's not a preparation for teaching and preaching. When we come to church to worship the Lord, when we assemble as a church to worship the Lord, it is not a preparation. It is really, it really truly is fulfilling one of the major purposes of the church towards the Lord. And that's why we worship the Lord. And that's usually why we want to do it first because we believe the Lord, the ministry to the Lord is the most important thing that the church does. That's my personal belief. Uh, and if you look in Luke 17, 5 through 10, Jesus actually connected faithfulness in the earth to people who would worship. In other words, people said, Lord, increase our faith. And he gave them a story. He said, well, suppose, you know, you were a servant and you were out farming all day and you got home to the master. Would you expect that master to feed you supper? And Jesus said, no, you would not expect that master to feed you supper. This is what you should expect. You should expect that you would feed him supper, take care of his needs, and once those things were done, then you could eat. And then he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faithfulness in the earth? So really our, our, our faith, you know, is really connected to our worship. And I believe that is really, to me, personally, the most, for me it's the most important reason for church is to minister to the Lord. Okay? 
All right, the next one, number two, ministry to believers. And I use this word nurture. Let me tell you what I think it means. It's not your definition. Nurture means to feed, to build up, to equip in the faith, to deploy in the ministry of the kingdom. Okay, that's the second purpose of the church is to do those things. Colossians 1, 28 through 29. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature, is a, a, a clearer word probably there, in, in Christ Jesus. That's the only place you're going to be perfect and mature is in Christ. Outside of Christ you are messed up. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. So Paul's vision for a ministry was not just to see lost people saved but to present a bride prepared for Christ. That was, his, you know, that was what, what he was saying. I want to see these people presented to the Lord, ready for the Lord, perfect in, in Christ, mature in Christ. All right, the third one, a ministry to the world, which is evangelism and mercy. Okay, we know this uh, great commission scripture well. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Okay. The world needs God. That's obvious. We have what they need, correct? We have God. The church has God's. We are to go to them and not to expect them to come to us. Is that, that's what it says, right? You know, go. All right, now, everybody gets confused about go. Listen, we're in the world every day of our life. You go to work or you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station, that's the world out. You don't have to go to other side of the world. You don't have to go to Japan. You know, we are in the world. That's the problem with the church. We've got this mentality, you know, about this great commission that we have to do it and do it full time or do it in some special way. No. You know, you are in the world. And that's, you know, this is a ministry of the church. We, you know, you go into the world. The people of God, the church, the people, you're the church. You get up and you go out there in the world and you take the good news with you to the people in the world. And I think we've got to get that mindset in our hearts and get away from this, this other mindset. Because what that does, if we have this other mindset that just the only, that Great Commission is only going sending missionaries out, what about people like me who will never be a missionary? Does that mean I never get to do the Great Commission? No, we all got to see we all equally carry that that anointing on us, carry that commission on us. Um, not only, now, this is important. This is something the Lord's really been speaking to me for a while about. Not only are we to share the gospel with the world, we also have a ministry of mercy. Okay? We have a ministry of mercy. I want, you to, I want to just hit you on this one. A ministry that includes caring for the poor and needy in the name of the Lord. Now, that is really part of the, of, the, of the calling of the church, is to care for the poor and needy. And I'm not talking about just the poor and needy in the body. Really and truly, I'm talking more about the poor and needy that are out there in the world. You got, you got that? Let's look at that just for a second. Ministry of mercy. Luke 4, 40-41. When the sun was setting, all, those who had, all who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Being him, being Jesus, of course, and he laid hands on every one of them, every one of them, and healed them all, or healed them. And these and demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, "You are the Christ, the Son of God." So the Lord uh, touched the believer and the unbeliever. He did not; his ministry wasn't just to the saved, just to the people who believed in him, the people who accepted him. See, he made do, no differentiation when he was out there in the world. He you know, he, he was look, looking for those people who, 
who loved Him and respected Him, He would minister to them. And those people who did not love and respect Jesus, He still reached out to them. And that's really the heart that the Lord wants to release in us. It's a heart of mercy. You know, the Father of mercy is the Bible. Now look, I do want you to look up this one, make you work just a little bit. Luke six thirty-five through 36. Let's look up that Scripture. And just read that. Actually, I want to start at verse 33. And the reason I want to just give just a little extra on this ministry of mercy, we've, not, we've always seen evangelism just as talk, sharing the gospel with lost people and getting them saved. We've not seen this aspect of reaching our, our, our part of our purpose as a church, is reaching out to the poor. I mean, we know we're supposed to do it, you know, and, but we haven't really, you know, caught it. This is really one of the four major purposes that we do have. In verse 33 in Luke 6, it says, in, If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? And this is Jesus talking. If I'm just good to Becky, what good is that for me? Other than keeping her from being mad at me, right? But for, for even sinners do the same. Even sinning husbands, unsafe husbands are good to their wives. You know what I'm saying? And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? It's no credit to you. You know, if I loan Fran McCarran 25 bucks, expecting him to get it back from him, Lord, I ain't done anything for Fran. You know, I haven't done anything spiritual. I just helped Fran out, you know, 25 bucks, but I need it back. You know, give my money back to me. Uh, and your work, he said, uh, for even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. You know, the bank will lend to anybody if you can, you know, prove to them that you can pay them back. But he said, love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing in return. We have a hard time with that. We have a hard time ministering to people that we don't really, we know we're not going to get anything back from. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. That's the Lord's heart. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. The Lord really has a calling on us to be merciful to people in the world, and particularly poor people who have no way of paying us back. Needy people who have no way. And people, and a lot of times, I'm telling you, amongst the poor and needy, they are some of the meanest people on the face of the planet. They'll use you up, honestly. They're sinners out there. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're righteous. Don't go for that old, that old critical thing. Uh, one, of the, one of the titles in the Bible of God the Father, there's several titles of God the Father, I think it's four or five. One of them is Father of Mercies. It's the Father heart of God being released. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, so y'all got that. Uh, let me just tell you this. This is interesting. Let's tell you this little story. This is one of the ways I got this little story. Is I had this thing in Acts 20 where I wanted the elders and the future elders of this church to study because it's one of the few places that I can find in the Bible which tells what elders are supposed to do. So I gave them this. I want you all to study and come back. Well, tell me what you think is saying to you. Tommy Murph comes back with this letter he writes me about reaching out to poor people. And I read I thought, what did I, did I tell him the right thing to read here? And I told him to read Acts 20 about elders in the church. That's what I thought when I first read it. I thought, he didn't read the right thing. Then I went back and read it. 
thought, man, it's in there. It's in there. What Paul was trying to tell the elders to do, the poor's in there. The needy's in there. You see what I'm saying? It's this person who had this heart towards him, and then you realize, Lord, you know, it's all in the Bible. It's hidden in places. And the person who, you know, is gifted that way is going to see it there, you know, and draw your attention attention to it. And I'll get back into that in just a little bit more. But that's, you know, evangelism and ministry of mercy is, a, is one of the great purposes of the church. All right, the fourth purpose is spiritual warfare. Are you all with me so far? Ephesians 3.10. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. You got that? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Those are, are you know, that's the... The demonic realm is what he's talking about. That the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, we know there are two worldviews, you know, and, and basically there's really two worldviews. There's God's view, worldview, and there's the devil's worldview. Now, the devil has a lot of variations on his worldview. Like one of them is, is secular humanism. That's a, a worldview. There's other worldviews out there. Uh, you know, besides secular humanism, but you know, we have what we call a biblical worldview. You know, it's what the it's how we see the world through the Bible, what the Bible says about the world, and what the Bible says about what's going on in the world. And then there's, uh, there's these all these other variations in this worldview. Well, really, what God has called the church to do is to really, you know, stand for the biblical worldview. And to promote the biblical worldview, and you know whatever that you know you think that means, but really it's just what the Lord says. This is the way the world is. It's what the Bible says, not what where our society teaches us, you know, and lies to us about. You know, the kids are being lied to in the school system like crazy now about the, you know, homosexuality is okay and it's okay for same-sex marriages and you know evolution. All that stuff is just trash. It's it's a it's a wrong worldview totally, and that's what's being you know. And thank God, uh, you know, a lot of the kids are like my daughters at UNC Chapel Hill studying biology, which is, you know, the, a great bastion of liberalism at that school. And all these biology classes, they promote, you know, evolution. And they, a lot of it comes, you know, right at, But, you know, that stuff just slammed, you know, she just said, you know, just, who, I'm not believing that stuff. I know that's not true, you know, because she had something else imparted to her. In her life, and that's really what the the, ch- the church is to champion: the biblical worldview. That's that's part of what that scripture is saying. We're to champion. No, this is what the Bible really says. This is this is what God says about things. That's the only thing that's the truth. And you know, there's a right way and a wrong way of doing that, of course. Uh, but we need to remember that the devil is a defeated enemy, but he still goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's defeated, but he roars. Okay? And it's really up to the church. We have the, de- the church has a delegated authority to stand against the enemy and take back what he has stolen through deceit. That's what real spiritual warfare is. Okay? That's really what we... And we have, a, we have a purpose to do spiritual warfare. Okay? Is everybody clear on these four? Four purposes. One, ministry to God in worship. Two is ministry to the believers. That's through teaching, preaching... You know, building them up, helping them, trying to get them into what God has for them in their life, trying to keep them on the right track, being a pillar and ground in truth. Then the world, to preach the gospel, to share the good news to the world, 
and, and including in that as a ministry to the poor and needy around you in the world. And lastly is our, quote, ministry to the devil. <laughs> That's still not a good word, it's an oxymoron. But our service to him is to stomp his hide and tell, and, and, and tell people he's lying to you and, and break his lies over people, the lies of, of what he has for them. Uh, and there's lots of ways of doing it. Now, um, keeping the purposes in balance. Now, that's the key thing, is keeping those four things in balance in your life, in the life of the church. Because, you know, as you know, you can, you can swing all over the spectrum. Um, all four of these purposes are given to us by the Lord. Therefore, all four must be important, right? They all are, are very important that we fulfill these purposes. One is not more important than the other in the sense of one is a less of, lesser purpose of God. You know, the salvation of the world is why Jesus died. Of course it's important. Of course it's important. Um, uh, in fact, these four purposes are interdependent upon each other. In other words, they are interconnected with each other. They rely on each other. Are you with me? Something that's interdependent depends on the other thing working. Uh, there's a warfare... All right, this is for instance. There's a warfare aspect to worship. In, in the Old Testament, the tribe of Judah always was the first tribe that went out in the, and when they went to battle. They, you know, if you was in the tribe of Judah, you was on the front, man, and they had you out there singing songs and playing instruments. Wouldn't you love to go to war like that? Like, well, we're going to go fight these guys, and theirs was not spiritual like ours is. They were out there with people throwing spears at you or stabbing you and stuff, and there you were out there playing the guitar. Well, you know, I'm over here playing the guitar, and these guys are shooting bow and arrows at me. That's, that was how they went into war. They always went into battle first. Just, just read it all over the once you know those tribes were established. Um, we need all four. Let's look at Revelation. Well, let me go ahead and just I want to give you the rest of this just to let you see this. Uh, in, in the New Testament. Uh, Revelations 5, 8 through 9. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp. Let's have a harp to play. We don't have a real harp like they have, but we have this. Each of them had that little musical instrument in their hand and a golden bowl of incense. Anybody got any incense this morning? Which are the prayers of the saints. So you had the... Music, which we equip, you know, connect to worship, and you had prayers. Therefore, you have this model called harp and bowl, which is a, you know, pretty powerful thing when you see it happen. It says they sang a new song. So that's the heavenly model of worship and warfare going together. So you see, the, you see how those two things are tied together. That's just a for instance, they're tied together, and you see how warfare is tied to uh, evangelism. How many people had somebody praying for them to get saved in this room? I bet you everybody in this room, somebody, somewhere, grandma or grandpa or, or a friend or somebody was praying, you know, for you diligently that the Lord would save you. I mean, I know when I got saved, you know, my brother wrote me this long letter and talked about he just prayed, and I had no idea he was praying for me to get saved. That was warfare, you know? So you, you see what I'm saying? The warfare and evangelism are connected. Um, and you know, then people pray for you, you know, when you're doing ministry, so, you know, to help people. So they're all connected. Worship, warfare, and evangelism, acts of mercy, and ministry of saints are vitally linked. And I think we are unhealthy without all four purposes being a part of our lives. 
when we don't have those as a part of our lives, again, it's just like I showed you the other day about, you know, the gospel message having four parts to it. It's like four legs on the chair. Remember that? It's the blood. It's the salvation message. It's the grace message. You know, Christ as my life. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and it's the, the second coming of Christ. Those are the four aspects of the gospel message. And when we don't have those four things operational in our life, then we're unstable. Well, the same thing as a church. A church that doesn't have these four things has a very unstable foundation under them. They're missing something. You sit on a three-legged chair, and if you lean the wrong way, guess what? You're going to topple and fall out. And that's what happens to the church many times is we topple and we fall out because we're missing something. You know, some churches miss the worship thing. Let's get in here. Let's sing our three hymns and get on to the preaching. You know, they're just singing songs. They're not worshiping the Lord there. Some churches are really strong on evangelism. Now, I was talking to this guy recently, and he was telling me all the stuff he was doing, but everything he told me, he was talking about how his whole intent was to get people saved. You know, yeah, we had this group come in, and they, you know, this person won some Dove Award, blah, blah, and the worst sinner in town got saved. That was his testimony. He didn't give a rip about the, 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 the worship or the singing. He just said, we got the worst sinner saved because his, this guy was an evangelist. That's all he thought about. I remember when we first came up here, a friend of mine who's an evangelist, well, just tell me how many people are being saved. That's all I want to know. I don't give who, what else you're doing. If nobody's getting saved, you're not doing anything. Well, you know, that's a good heart to have. But it's not the only heart to have. And then you have people who love worship and just are into worship, man. You know, and I'm one of those people. And think, you know, if you've got good worship, that's the main, main thing to have. And that's a big part of me that says that is the main thing to have. But I realize if I don't have evangelism in my life, if I'm not reaching the lost, if I'm not looking for mercy in people, you know, if I don't have teaching in my life, you know, I realize there's an instability in me because God don't want me to just sit around some room like a monk, just, oh, thank you, Lord, and worshiping Him, just closed off from society. And, and you know... He didn't call me to go stuff myself back in my office and study the Bible to be a teacher as much as I would like to do that. You know, just let me shut the door. Don't nobody bother and talk to me. I'm happy. But God didn't call us to be like that. You know, we, we become unhealthy spiritually. Y'all with me? All right, now this is important. It's not a simple manner of dividing the church into four parts. We're going to do in this church, one quarter of our church will be devoted to worship. One quarter will be devoted to teaching, one quarter to outreach, and one quarter to warfare. You know, like we've got this, you know, recipe. Well, you know, you, most recipes are not equal, right? You make a cake, you know, you're going to put two things of flour in there and a quarter cup of oil, and it's all... And the terrible thing about the Lord is this. One day He could say, I want half worship. That's what I'm looking for in this season. Half of it's going to be worship. Then a month later, he said, no, now I want to do half evangelism. And we're saying, no, we like to do the worship. We're stuck over here doing half. We're going to put all half everything into this worship thing. He said, well, you know, I want you to just do a quarter on the worship now. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's the sort of way we are. We would love to have this formula to be able to get all this figured out. We're going to set it like this, and this is the way it'll be forever. You know, this is our sign out front. One quarter worship, one quarter teaching, one quarter evangelism and mercy, and one quarter spiritual warfare. And when you come to this church, you can be promised we will have you a program that shows you that. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we want, really? 
You're lying if you say you don't because it's comfortable. But the Lord's saying, I don't do it like that. I do it like the baker does it. I use different things for different situations, different seasons. Okay, let's go on. Gifts differing. Let me read Romans 12, 6 through 8. This is when it you know, gets, gets to you. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So you can see that God has given different people different things. Different callings, different gifts. Or anything. So in other words, for Tommy Murph, he's has his heart for out there. And he sits down and he talks about, we've got to get this out of here. We can't just sit in here. We've got to go out there. I'm thinking that's why God is wanting to raise him up to be an elder in this church. We need an elder that says, there's people out there that need Jesus and we've got to go help them. We don't need just a bunch of people like me who says, now we've got to figure out this is how we need to be doing this deal. We've got to teach them on this. We've got to find out what God's saying right now. You know, we've got to keep this thing the way, you know, just do this stuff. And that's the way I think. So God brings people around you that don't have what you have to add to you, to give you a different perspective. And what we really do, this is what we naturally do, is when somebody with that different perspective comes, we want to resist them. We want to reject them because we feel like they're challenging our little thing. When really they're not. Really they're coming to add something to you. Give you something you don't have. So you'll have a more of a complete picture of the heart and mind of God. And that's why we desperately need differing gifts in the church. It's so we can get this balance in church that God wants at a particular time. And it's really important. So, as was said this morning by Becky's mom, it's everybody in the church should be doing something in the church. Everybody should be functioning. Because if you're not, it's out of whack. Something's missing. See, this is a great example. I've, you tend to see many people who have real worship calls in their life, okay, tend to be prophetic people. They really do. They, they sort of tend to, to be that kind of prophetic people. Not all of them. And there's some people who are not, don't have worship callings or, not prophet, or who are just prophetic but don't really have any worship. But they will, because they're prophetic, prophetic people lean towards spiritual warfare. They lean towards looking into the spirit realm. And they tend to see things black and white. This is God. This is the devil. You know? And so you have a lot of that harp and bowl stuff that happens with, with people. They become intercessors. They, be, they like to pray. They like to really get into this to this thing. It's the, it's the Lord, you know. It's, that's a great example. You know, uh, another great example is many people who have pastoral callings have teaching callings to go with them. The worst thing a, a church could have is a pastor who really can't teach. You know, that's not... That sort of dip, makes it rough on I was a part of a church for a brief time that had a pastor who absolutely, as far as a pastor was concerned, he was the best pastor as far as a pastor anointing. But he couldn't... Man, he'd talk you into the ground in eight minutes. You were, you were like, i got to get out of here. It wasn't just bad and boring. It was like running me off bad. Not what he was saying. It was all right. Just something. There was nothing on it. 
but He could set you down one-on-one and talk to you. And it was like God was sitting there talking to you. That's the way you felt. Like His counsel was gold. His preaching was, you know, what's the opposite? Rusty, huh? I won't say what I was thinking. So we can't ignore the other areas. If you are a very gifted evangelist and have a passion for that, it's wrong for you to worship these other purposes because you need them. I need somebody with evangelism. I like to do evangelism, but I need somebody to keep remind me, to stir me towards it, to provoke me about it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, the Bible does say, do the work of the evangelist. It says everybody's supposed to do that. Are you all with me so far? All right, now here's the practical application. Everything I just said here was great. It's the Bible. That's really what we've got to see. We've got to really get down. But now we've got to get down real here. Now we've got to get down to slam. Lord, what does this mean to us this morning? Okay, that's what we've got to have. We can't just, okay, I know the four purposes of the church. I can quote them back to you. <laughs> that's much of what goes on in the church. We just give information so people will know it. But, you know, it doesn't do you any good. If you just know something, it's not real in your life. Practical application. All right, here's the first statement. Church is not, to, not meant to be a spiritual self-indulgence, no matter what your gifting is. You got that? It is not meant to be a spiritual self-indulgence. In other words, if you are a person who loves worship, it is that worshiping God is not for your self-indulgence. No matter how much you like to do it, no matter how much you enjoy it, no matter how much it pleases you and thrills you, because there'll come a day when you go to church and the Lord just says, well, I'm not blessing the worship today. I'm just not going to do it. And it's not because the people doing the worship are messed up. It's because God just says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be in the midst of it. I refuse to. And we become self-indulgent. And here's how you know. Say, well, well, I didn't like it. It was too fast. It was too slow. It was too loud. It was too long. Too short. You know, whatever the... And then you realize we've gotten into self-indulgence because we're just focusing on what we're doing and how we're doing it. We're, we're not worshiping the Lord. We're not worshiping the Lord. Okay, church is meant to release the spirit and fire that burns in heaven into the earth. Now, that's really what we're supposed to be doing. There's, see, there's something happening in heaven. There's a fire in heaven. There's something burning in heaven that God wants to release at any particular time. And that's what we should be doing. At any particular time, we need to be releasing whatever that thing is that God's doing in heaven. We pray it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every good Christian knows that. You know, but when God starts doing it, we stop praying it. Like, whoa. I ain't what we was thinking. You know, we were thinking something safe and secure and fit in with our program, our order, the way we like things done. And now all this fire's coming from heaven that's, burning things down and destroying stuff, you know, causing chaos, causing confusion. Somebody said, you know, actually the Bible says God is not the author of confusion, you know, but somebody else said, but He almost is. I mean, the Lord can really, stuff is like, man, this seems confusing, Lord. I can't figure this out, you know. It really feels that way, but it's, you know, the devil brings confusion. Honestly, it's just we, our flesh doesn't like it, Okay? And this is what I want to ask us. Have we, now this is practical application, this is what we need to be at. Have we become self-indulgent with freedom? I'm talking about us in this church. Have we become self-indulgent with freedom? You know, self-indulgent. 
got to have our freedom. Got to have our freedom. Is it self-indulgent or is it true freedom? Um, see, our nation. See, this, this is what I'm seeing. In the nation, there's a self-indulgent with the freedom that we have in this nation. Well, it should be, uh, you know, just as uh, you know, as people saying this. It's, you know, if Janet Jackson wants to flash everybody on national TV, it should be okay. We should have the freedom to, of expression, right? No, it ain't right for them to do that. That's wrong. That's not what that freedom was talking about. That's not the freedom, but that's self, and that's, a, that's on a carnal level, an extreme carnal level, I admit, because there's even carnal people that didn't go for it, but the reason they didn't, to tell you the truth why they didn't go for it, it's money. They realize their money, their pocketbook's fixing to get hit over this thing. When you start hitting people in the world's pocketbook, they'll stop everything. <laughs> they don't go for messing with their pocketbook. Nobody does. But you see what I'm saying? See, in the world now, people should be able to, you know, get, again, this, I'm not down on, on any of these people. Lord bless Janet Jackson. I mean, honestly, have mercy on her. She's just lost. She's doing what lost people do. She, we can't be condemning them. But there's a spirit behind that thing of self-expression that we, need to, we sh should be free to do what we want to do. And see, I think that same spirit has gotten into the church. And it is a self-indulgent spirit. You know, freedom in Christ is not that, doing what you want to do. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? And, and you know, just however you want it done. Um, let's look at Galatians 5. This is the application now, I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying that's the way we are. And it's not that I feel condemned, but I want to just read this right quick. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. This is what happened to me. Mr. Baker, who is not in here, gave me a Christmas present. Mr. Tony Baker. I wish I could have found it. I would have played it for you this morning. He gave me a CD that he did. He created the music, however you do that, with computers, you know. And it took some stuff that I was preaching and put it on this CD with this music. And he used these echoes. And, you know, you'd, I'd say something, it would echo, 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 echo. And I was listening to what one day when I was Christmas shopping with Becky. That's how I Christmas shop with Becky. I sit in the car. She goes Christmas shopping. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, I'm not into that. So you go, and if I'm going to do something, I'll get somebody to do it for me. I didn't do that this year. She's always been mad because, you know, you get grace to buy all my presents. It's like grace has given these to me. So, men, buy your wife the present yourself. They like it better like that. They don't like you getting somebody to do it for them. Although I, most men would rather somebody just, here's the money, go do it, whatever you think is right. Get them a Gap gift card. They don't go for those unless they specifically want one. Just go get them something, even if they're going to take it back. See, that was the problem. I, for years I'd buy her presents. No, 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 no. Next day, well, I'm going to go back, and she'd take everything back because she didn't like it. And here's another thing. Don't ever do this. Do not buy your wife roses on Valentine's and they get delivered at 10 o'clock at night. You will be chewed out over that. I did that one time, and I've never bought her roses again because they came late, and she was mad at me about it, and it wasn't my fault. I paid 50 bucks for those roses, and she was mad about it. So, I don't know how I got on all that, but that's men's counsel. That's men's counsel. Men, we're telling you secrets here. This is how you don't do it. You know, go to the grocery store and buy them and bring them in person and hand them to her. Because if it gets there at 10 o'clock at night when she's getting ready for bed, Danny's not going to have no good effect. You know, 
And after all, Valentine's is for it. We want our wives to know that we love them and that they love us. It's, you know. Anyways, moving on. Anyways, I was listening to this. That's what it was. I was listening to this tape. And the tape was on freedom. And it was just like, Lord, what happened? What happened, Lord? What happened to that? I want freedom is what I was saying. I want real freedom. You know, and, but Lord, this is what I've seen in our church. I've seen people take and pervert this thing that I said to them about freedom, about the grace of God. It made me cry when I heard it. That's what I did. I sat there and cried in my car because I felt, man, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong, Lord? And the Lord said, well, you didn't do anything wrong, really. You just need to finish telling them about freedom. You didn't tell them enough. And this is what the Bible says about freedom. Okay? And then the Janet Jackson thing reminded me of it. That's really how I got here. From there to here, this is how I got here. You know, it says, uh, are y'all with me? For you, brethren, in verse 13, have been called to liberty or freedom, whichever word you want to use, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law was fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. That's, that's the Bible. That's what the Bible's talking about, freedom and liberty. Um, the Lord was saying this to me, Byron, freedom of choice is only beginning. And grace, listen to this, grace only works with the right choice. Remember what I said to you? This is what I said in that message. It was all on this little song that Tony did <laughs> with all his echoes. Is you do not have to come to church. You do not have to read the Bible. You do not have to give. You do not have to pray. And all that is absolutely the truth. You do not have to do any of those things. You do not have to serve the Lord. Because the moment your choice is taken away from you, it is not God. And don't let anybody ever take your choice away from you. Because right from the beginning, God gave man a choice. you got two trees. If you eat from the right tree, you'll live. If you eat from the wrong tree, you're going to die. You understand what I'm saying to you? But you see, giving them a freedom of choice is just the beginning of freedom. You see, real freedom... Is not, well, I don't have to read the Bible, so I'm not going to read it. You see, there's freedom to read the Bible. This is what I learned a long time ago. We were hippies when we got saved. We were like into long hair, into blue jeans that had patches all over them, into tie-dyed T-shirts. I'm talking about real ones. I'm not talking about the ones you buy. We did our own. And that's how we lived and dressed, and we did all the hippie stuff. And then we got saved in the middle of that, and we went into the church... And we didn't. We were thinking they didn't like us, and we didn't like them. Basically, they ain't liking us, looking like this and acting like this, and we ain't going for all of this. So we didn't go for it. So we decided we'd do something different. Basically, we being people who could make those decisions for us. Uh, so we went away from the traditional church, and and there was a lot of young people who were in churches who were basically ex hippies. They got saved. God filled them with the Holy Spirit. They got saved. 
And we said, we ain't wearing suits. We don't have to wear a suit to go to church. You know? We can dress, you know, in blue jeans and go to church. We can, we can dress in T-shirts and go to church and worship the Lord. You don't have to have a suit on to worship. Because at the time, if you can imagine it, there weren't churches like you could dress like this. The majority, you know, they were, I, there were no churches that I knew of growing up like that. None. You had to dress to go to church. And so we did that. And we were happy and we were free. Until one day we met this guy who came to our church and he comes trotting in there for town. And this was a cool guy. He was one of us. It was Ken Houser back in the day when he did a swoop. <laughs> you can tell him I said that. Because when he came here after he got the bridge of swoop, what happened to you, Ken? What did you do? He said he was at a funeral and the wind was blowing. He could hear his hair cricking because he had so much hairspray in it. He said that. That's why he got rid of the swoop. You know? But Ken came to church. He said, you wonder why I got this? He was preaching when we first got to know him. He said, you know why I got this town? Because I am free to wear a tie. Not just not wear one. That's real freedom. You see, real freedom is not what you... Well, I don't have to go to church, therefore I'm not. That's the wrong choice. The choice is freedom. Grace is doing the right thing. That's where grace is. Somebody said to me, Well, I heard all that grace. That was good for me, but now I've got these standards. I'm thinking, Oh, I ain't going for no standards now. Do not give me any standards. I don't want standards. I still don't want standards. I want grace. But this is what I do want. The Bible tells me what the right thing to do is. It's not a standard. It just says, choose that. There's life in that. There's power in that. You choose the other way, there's no life and power in it. And that's why I felt this when I listened to that song. People have taken this liberty in Christ and have perverted it and said in their hearts that they can sin with it and it's okay. Or they cannot do the things that the Bible clearly says we should be doing and says, because really the Bible, the New Testament really is this. It's a picture of a person who's living the grace life. That's what you're going to do. And that's where real freedom is found in doing the things that you know God wants you to do. Real freedom is not found in not doing those things. That's bondage. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? I want to make that real clear because I'm tired of people telling me stuff. Well, you know, you said we didn't have to, so I didn't. Well, that was a wrong choice. The freedom's in your choice, baby. And that's where, that's where it's at. That's where your real freedom is. You have a freedom. You have a right to choose. But if you'll choose the right thing, you'll choose the Lord, then the grace of God goes to work in your life. Let me just finish this. Okay. This is what really spoke to me. The other night, Friday night, Don Casperson told this story. He told this story about this little boy who was living with his grandparents. And this little boy was looking out the window, and his grandparents were very confining grandparents. This little boy's grandparents were the kind of people who didn't go nowhere. They didn't do nothing. They just stayed huddled up in their little world. But this little boy, like all little boy, has this adventure in him. He wants to get out there and explore and do stuff. It has his heart to do it, but he's stuck in here with these two old people who won't let him. <laughs> that was my interpretation of what was happening with this little boy. And this little boy was looking at these birds that had wings. And he was like, man, if I just 
had these wings. I could just fly away and be free. It's profound what he was saying. It was really profound. It was prophetic and profound to me when he was saying it. And he heard this voice. This little boy heard this voice. You can guess who the little boy is. You will find that hands are better than wings. He heard this voice as a little boy speak to him. My Lord, you will find the hands. See, we want the wings. We want to be free. Oh, I just want to be free, Lord, you know. And the Lord's saying, you're going to find there's something greater than you just being free. You know, real freedom. Okay? Are you all with me? Hang in there with me. And I believe, this is what I believe the Lord was saying to me the other night through that, Don. It's one of the greatest freedoms that we can have is found in serving. That's where real freedom is. You know, when we talk about serving people in the world, this is the experience. I, and, and, and the Lord demonstrated it to me. This is how He demonstrated it to me. Really ministered to me. Is we did our meeting. We had testimonies. You know, it was powerful. People testifying what God did in their life. That's all it was, was testimonies. You know, then at the end, we're going to pray. Anybody's got any needs in here tonight? Let's pray for them. Everybody who has needs, come up here. We're going to pray for them. And the people who didn't have any, we're going to go pray for them. So we was doing that. And then Don said to me, Byron, what are your needs? And when he said it to me, it's like, dang. Because I have said this before. Hey, somebody would call me with something for me. I'm tired of people calling me wanting something out of me all the time. Have you ever had that feeling? I'm not saying you shouldn't call me with your needs. I'm just saying sometimes I'm saying something. I wish somebody was going to bring me something instead of me, them wanting me to bring them something. You know, you just get that feeling sometimes in your life. I'm just being real, real with you. I'm being honest with you. I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I felt those things. And at that moment, I felt like somebody was coming to me to serve me. What are your needs in your life, Byron? And I said, well, i got two needs I want you to pray for me about. One, you know, I gave him a personal need, you know, just about me which I ain't going to share. And then the other one, when I'll share this one, I said, well, Don, this is a need I really have right now. I've got so many things coming at me right now, and they ain't bad things. They're good things. They're God things. I just can't do everything that I feel like is coming at me right now. And I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? I need to know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. You know, I didn't say that. He actually prayed that. Lord, just, you know... But it really ministered to me. Pray, Lord, just show Byron your priorities in his life. Because everything that comes at him is, is not for you. Then he prayed, you know, that, Lord, you'd raise up people with hands to serve. That's what he prayed. Hands to serve. And uh, I felt like that was really the Lord praying. In fact, he said, I didn't think this prayer up. Actually, he told me that. I wasn't thinking about this. It just came out of my mouth to pray that way. It was, you know, one of them Holy Spirit prayers. And, um. This is what I feel like we want to say. I don't know what to say. After <laughs> saying all that, I think we share. You know, after people share their testimonies the other night, and they're simple testimonies. You know, they weren't like some elaborate. Oh, I had cancer and I was dying. I had three days to live, and God healed me. You know, a lot of some it's profound stuff. It's, um, Becky gave the example of how she ministered to this person that day who had these pretty 
some desperate needs in her life, and she was just telling her simple things that God had done in her life. This woman was like, man, I need to hear that. That's something I needed to hear. That helped me. It was like counsel for heaven from heaven for that lady. And, you know, she said, Becky said, after all those testimonies, the world's dying to hear this. What we're saying in this room tonight, the world's dying out there to hear this. They're dying to hear what God's done in our lives. That's what they need. They need to hear these simple things that God has done for us. That, that makes God real to them. We're the only God they're going to... We're going to bring God. You know, and she quoted that song, All of creation is waiting for you being God in me. And the world is out there groaning for this. And there's young men and young women that are groaning for somebody to give them what they got. And that's what's wrong with the churches. We don't do that. We don't give them what we got. We don't even give the people in the church what we got, much less people out there in the world. And I believe, this is what I read, I believe we need to consider that there's a fire burning in heaven towards the world that God is wanting to release. And that's what I really believe. I was asked a question, what if God brought 30 unsaved people in this church and they got saved? What would you do? And this is the way it felt to me, like, dang on. I can't even do what I'm doing now. What we're going to do? Well, let's, let's start a Bible study on basic Christian doctrine. Well, if you're a Bible teacher, that's what you're going to do. Of course you are. They need to know that. But somebody needs to put their hands on them and touch them. You hear what I'm saying? Somebody needs to touch those people. They need touching. People need to be touched. Now, I know everybody wants the pastor to touch them. That's just natural. I touch you. Lord bless you. I touched you. Well, bless you. You know? And you know what I'll do with people? If people want something from me, I need to talk to you. Come on. I'll talk to you. I'll spend a day with you. I'll hang around with you, talk to you. If 15 people said that to me, I would do it with every one of them. But I usually tell them, I ain't going after you. You know, because there's a bunch of people that want something. You know? And you want to give it to them. You really do want to give it to them. That's your heart. I want to give it to them, Lord. I heard we're going to go over there to the to the soup kitchen where I'm saying, I want to go. I want to go to the soup kitchen. Well, they're going to just clean up. I don't care. I'll go clean the toilets over there. I just want to go do it. You know? I mean, it's just the way the Lord is. You see, God put that stuff in our heart. We want to do this stuff. But I think God is saying, I'm looking for some hands in here. Forget your wings, man. I mean, gosh, we've, we're free. We can be. But the, the Lord's saying your hands, that's what Don, that's what I heard the Lord say through Don. You'll find the hands are better than wings. Because we'd all like to take wings and fly away. On any given moment, let me out. God, I'm gone. Let me just fly and be free. Get up there with them eagles and soar. You know? I, I love that. I have an infatuation with those. And there's definitely a place for that. But I think there's also a place for putting our hands on people human beings that need to be touched. And I realize sometimes I can get untouchy, you know. But it's because my brain's filled up. It's not because I'm not really untouchy. And all I'm saying to you this morning, are we self-indulgent with our freedom? 
because I believe God is really asking us that question today. Is He's saying, I'm looking for some hands. God needs some hands. You know, as, long, as well as some hearts. And he's saying, where's some hands? Somebody show me some hands to touch the people around you. You know, if, if you're Tommy Murph, guess where your hands are going to want to go? I'm going out there. That's where, where his... Yeah, you know, I'll go out there with you some, Tommy, you know, but you know, you're going to have to be in charge of it. You know? And if you're somebody with a pastoral thing, it's like, oh, i got to touch these people in here. If you're like me, when I hear about somebody, I really want to really follow the Lord. I want to get deeper in God. Well, come on. That's what I like to do. Let's get together, you know, and talk about those things and talk about how the Lord does stuff in your life. I'm, just, that's what I'm happy to do. We'll do it any way you want to do it. We don't make it, we'll make it real casual. We'll go jogging and do it, you know. Whatever you want to do, let's just talk about it. Everybody has their thing, you know. But I believe the Lord's saying this morning, is there any hands around here that's available to me? Are they? I'm not talking about, well, I'm going to be back here in the office because I'm the pastor and, you know, that, and I don't, therefore I don't do stuff everybody else does. I ain't talking about that. I don't think that's the attitude anybody needs to have. I think we need to get out and put our hands on some people. Touch them. The Lord's hands. Now, here's the question. Anybody got any hands available? I mean, seriously. Put your hands up if you've got any hands available. I mean, God may take you serious at this. What if He does? What if He says, Oh, got your hand, Matthew. Too late, bud. You put your hands up. I got your hand. Come on, Matthew. I got your hand, Matthew. Come on. I'm going to take you somewhere you don't want to go, Matthew. I'm going to make you touch somebody you don't want to touch, bud. I'm going to pull you out of your comfort zone, Matthew. You believe it. See what I'm saying? That's what the Lord may do. Grab your old hand. Jerk your hand, make you mess with somebody you don't want to. Lord, I don't want to talk to them today. Please, please don't make me do that. You know, I really do want to study the third chapter of Romans today. That's what I want to do. Well, they're talking to you. And if you can figure out how to study the third chapter of Romans without them knowing it while you're talking to them, do it. <laughs> uh, wait a minute, what? <laughs> hands. Everybody put your hands up. Not everybody. Everybody who wants to give their hands to Jesus. Okay? Lord wants your hands. And it ain't pretty. Because Veronica may say, we're going to go clean some commodes at the, at the, uh, the soup kitchen. Anybody want to go? I, well, I'll go, Veronica. I don't mind it. You know. I want to just do it because I believe the Lord's over there cleaning commodes at the soup kitchen. <laughs> I don't necessarily even get to be the one that stands out there and hands out the food, in other words. It may be back when nobody sees you. But the Lord, that's the Lord's hands. So, Lord, this morning we just are saying to you, if this is you, Lord, if you're speaking to people, nobody needs to be doing anything they don't believe you call them to do. But whatever you've called us to do, Lord, Lord, let us not be indulgent with these things, but let us... Lord, like Paul said to the Galatians who wanted to be free but got in bondage, Lord. There's people in this room who wanted to be free but you got in bondage and the Lord wants to set you free today from it. And He wants you to set you free to serve. That's what He said there. Through love, serve one another. That's real freedom. Through love, serve one another. So, Father, what we're saying to you this morning that we're going to choose to serve one another through love. 
that's what we're going to choose. And we ask you, Lord, to use our hands to do that. And Lord, when the moment comes, I ask you to remind us that this is you. This is you. And we can do it. And Lord, we just ask you for creativity in this. We don't need to do it the way it's always been done. It don't have to be done officially. Not, You know, this is what we can't do. You can't program this. That's what we try to do. Oh, we're going to have a program and you know, do this thing. Let's just do it. Let's be the church. Not just try to have a program. For, you know. So we ask you for creativity about how to serve one another, Lord. It doesn't have to be a certain thing, Lord. Lord, it doesn't have to be going to the soup kitchen, but it can be. It doesn't have to be going to a rest home, but it can be. It doesn't have to be playing music, but it can be. It doesn't have to be preaching, but it can be. We're saying to you, Lord, today, you are the most creative human being, the most creative person ever walked on this earth, Lord, and calls us to be the most creative human beings that ever walked on this earth. Give us the creativity to serve you in a way that we've not imagined. We just ask you to do that this morning, Lord. And Lord, help us in our church here to know what the Spirit's doing at that moment, if it's worship, if it's preaching, if it's evangelism, if it's stepping on the devil's head, that we'd do those things. Lord, teach us how to understand those, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, anybody who wants an impartation of this, Matthew's going to lay hands on you. I'm serious. He's going to lay hands. He has a servant's heart. Matthew does. He's been willing to serve and do stuff that he didn't want to do. I know he didn't want to do I could tell he didn't. (laughs) Lord bless him, but he did it anyway. (laughs) So anybody wants to come out, he'll just... Take goodbye, and he'll just put your hand, his hands on your hands and give you that heart to do it when I don't want to do it. And we need that. Amen? So let's just end like that. Y'all just come by. Matthew will give you the high ten, or high ten of impartation. Amen? Make you play while they do that. I mean, I want people to come by here and really receive something from the Lord. I think He's going to give it to you. It's that heart to serve when you don't want to.